0: The Civil Engineering Podcast is published by the Engineering Management Institute and is part of EMI's Civil Engineering Media and Entertainment Network, which can be found at cement.media. That's cement, C-E-M-E-N-T dot media. Welcome to episode number 175 of the Civil Engineering Podcast, the first podcast dedicated to helping civil engineering professionals succeed in work and life. In this episode, which is part of our Civil Engineering Entrepreneur series, I will be talking to Pete Atherton, president and founder of Actions Prove LLC and author of Reversing Burnout, about the recently released Future of Work in Engineering and Architecture 2021 report. This report was conducted by Actions Prove in partnership. With the Engineering Management Institute and done based on a survey with close to 600 engineers and architects in the United States. The goal of this research report and study was to examine whether individuals and AEC companies see a viable career path in mixed hybrid work, which includes both flexible formats for traditional jobs as well as independent careers for engineers and architects. The study also examines whether employers are prepared to engage independent professionals under these new conditions. There are four different frameworks throughout the report, and in this episode, we'll be talking about one of them, and we will highlight the key considerations for transitioning to a hybrid workforce model. Any AEC professional should be really interested in these results, in my opinion, because your career prospects may be dependent on it. Before we get started, this is a free show, and our sponsors help us keep it free, so we ask that you please support them. Now I'd like to recognize our sponsor for this episode, Big Time. BigTime is the industry-leading PSA software providing time tracking, billing, and project management for engineering firms with the goal of getting your business back to business. You can learn more about BigTime's PSA solution at BigTime.net. BigTime would also like to provide this tip to listeners about resources and investing in their people. Preventing client churn starts internally. If you invest in your employees, listen, and provide the resources for them to be successful you'll be more likely to keep them and see it pay off with your clients. Consistency is key to building trusting relationships. Now, we're including this episode as part of our Civil Engineering Entrepreneur Series because as you will hear, Pete Atherton was a partner owner in a big-time AE firm. And so he's coming at this report from that perspective which is interesting to see how he feels about that because this is a key consideration for engineering firm owners moving forward. And with that, I'd like to formally introduce our guest for this episode, Peter Atherton. Pete is an industry insider having spent more than 20 years as a successful professional principal, major owner, and member of the board of directors for a high-achieving AE firm. Pete is now the president and founder of Actions Prove LLC, which you can find at actionsprove.com author of Reverse Burnout, How to Immediately Engage Top Talent and Grow, a blueprint for professionals and business owners, and the creator of the impact process. Pete works with AE firms to grow and advance their success through strategic planning, executive coaching, employee engagement, and corporate impact design. You can connect with Pete at Pete at actionsprove.com. Also, I just want to kind of let everybody know here that this episode is also being simultaneously cast across Peter's podcast, as well as the Civil Engineering Podcast here. So I'm excited about this partnership. So with that, let's dive into our Civil Engineering Conversation of the Week with Peter Atherton. Civil Engineering Podcast. Civil Engineering Podcast. Pete, welcome to the Civil Engineering Podcast. I'm excited to be part of this joint episode and to talk about this report that's been in the making for several months now after a pretty expansive survey that we designed with a specialty research and data analytics firm toward the tail end of 2020 to really capture how we were both seeing work in the AEC industry changing in real time right before our eyes from different perspectives, which is what we're going to get into here today. Now, before we do that, I think it would make sense for both of us to kind of introduce ourselves, of course, because we, we're going to be in front of each other's audiences. So, Pete, why don't you start? Give us a little bit of a background on your career. I'm just a handful of
1: years removed from having lived the day-to-day pressures and realities of senior principals and firm owners. But I had um, grown up professionally in the industry as a consultant and practitioner through all the stages of being a staff engineer, project engineer, project manager, team leader, before becoming a principal and major firm owner, which I was for most of the first part of my 24 years of practice. I also had the experience at the beginning of my career for being at a large, well-known engineering firm at Caffinetti before transitioning to a much smaller firm at the time And in that process, over a 15-year period, we grew that firm from 60 people in one office to well over 200 people spread across nine offices in multiple regions. I know firsthand, I've seen, I've experienced a lot of these talent challenges related to growth and success. One of the top issues that many firms are continuing um, to face, and even more so today, which I see now in my new day-to-day, which is, uh, for the last four to five years, really doing management consulting for AEC firms, focusing mostly in strategic planning and growth consulting, as well as leadership and management development.
0: My background isn't terribly dissimilar from Peter's in that I practiced as an engineer. I practiced in civil engineering. I did a lot of land development work in New York State in a lot of the areas where farmland was being transitioned into residential developments, had a lot of opportunity to work on some interesting projects there. But for me, what I realized in my career was that if you want to be successful as an engineer in terms of becoming an executive leader in a company, you really need a combination of skills, not just your technical skills. You need some people interaction skills some project management skills on top of your technical knowledge and background. I developed my skills. I had some success in my firm and my firm actually asked me if I would conduct internal trainings on helping other professionals develop those skill sets. And in doing that, number one, I found really what my, my real passion was. But secondly, we started seeing some great results in the firm. So I ultimately decided to leave my civil engineering career behind and started what today is the Engineering Management Institute back around 2009. And I've kind of been traveling around the country ever since conducting trainings to help engineering professionals essentially become better managers and leaders by developing these people- and project management skills. We've also developed a big array of different content channels that are complementary and that are out there and available for engineering professionals like this one, of course. And so I continue to do that on a regular basis. And of course, today's topic is going to be to talk about the report that we recently published, Future of Work in Engineering and Architecture 2021 report. Peter, first things first, a lot of our clients and listeners have kind of asked us how we came together and why we partnered up on this study.
1: I mean, so listeners know, I mean, we met a few years ago live in person at a conference and, you know, I realized at the time that we just had a lot in common with how we saw the industry, how we saw the industry evolving. We approached the industry and accessed the industry from different points, but they were very complementary. I really love the idea of, of collaboration and building on, you know, different areas of interest and expertise in order to solve bigger problems um serve more people and just have an overall abundance mentality and so in working with you and working with others in the industry I just think it's a way that we can get together and just serve more. And so uh, to me it's been a natural fit ever since we've met looking for the opportunity to collaborate. I mean that from my perspective.
0: And I agree with that sentiment and really when you take a look at this report and we'll give you some information where you can download it but essentially A lot of it looks around remote work and, you know, independent contractors in the world of the AE world and, you know, freelancers. And, you know, you may have heard of this gig economy. Peter and I serve AEC firms mostly as our clients. You know, Peter doing the management consulting, strategic planning. We're doing a lot of corporate training on people management, project management, but also like our training programs are focused on helping with recruiting and retention And so really for us to be able to best serve our clients and our listeners and our subscribers, we need to take a look at where this work is going in the future. We all know that everyone was working remote the last year and a half. How many people are going back? How many aren't? Who wants to go back? Who doesn't? We felt like this was information that our clients needed to have to be able to chart their success moving forward. And the other thing about this too that is interesting is that we're coming at this from different perspectives, which was helpful for us throughout this study. We both have backgrounds as engineers. You know, I was doing a lot of the design work, a lot of working on teams. Peter had the chance to really be an owner in a firm and deal with all those ownership issues as he mentioned before. He's also been doing the strategic planning. So we just feel like kind of that overlay of having the different perspectives can really help in terms of again helping our clients, helping AE professionals out there chart their careers going forward. And the report is is pretty comprehensive and you can find the report at futureofworkinaec.com. That's futureofworkinaec.com. You can go right to that page and download it. In this episode, we want to cover four key considerations that we detailed in one section of the report that employers really need to consider related to embracing or leveraging remote work. And if you're listening to this as an employee, it's good for you as well to be aware of these, of course, because that may affect your future and where you're headed. So with that, Pete, you want to take us kind of into the first of these four considerations?
1: And to emphasize your point, I mean, it's all connected. I mean, firm success is tied to individual success, is tied to team success, is tied to client success. It is all related. So the more we understand each other's worlds, the more we're going to be part of successful ecosystems, which again, is a major transition to think of things in terms of network and ecosystems that I think our industry and our society is moving towards. The first element when this prescription for change, so to speak, is to ensure that our employer culture is open to change. And it seems pretty basic, make sure our employer culture is open to change. First of all, first observation, we've experienced a lot of change, a ton of change, especially over the last year with COVID. But in many ways, that change was forced change, right? I mean, as we detailed in the report, companies were forced to test that scale. You know, what are the the mechanisms for remote work? What are some of the rewards for that? What are some of the pain points with it in engineering and architecture? Would it have happened without a pandemic? I'm not sure. The question moving forward for organizations, leadership teams and teams in general is, are we going to revert back, kind of revert back to the norm, or are we going to continue to evolve? And I'll say from my perspective in the industry and working with firms now is I'm not sure you can have a healthy culture and certainly not one poised for success if you're not open to change. So I'll say that, you know, right at the start, we've got to be able to change. One other kind of big picture point I'll make here, because there is so much emphasis today on culture and rightfully so. And I do a lot of work with firms on culture and culture design. And I just want to state that it is a core leadership function along with business strategy, diversity, innovation and sustainability, all that has to be driven by the top and modeled by the top. And just to, you know, kind of put a point on culture because again, you know, people think it's a little bit more amorphous than it actually is. Culture is just it's directly tied to behaviors, specifically behaviors that are rewarded, incentivized or allowed to occur. And more than ever, culture is tied to a firm's ability to attract or retain talent. If you want a healthier culture, a more positive culture, we just have to think about the behaviors that we want at all levels in the organization. As it relates to our subject matter, you know, the pandemic forced change, remote work. And the question is, we, by and large, the industry found that in most cases with maybe some hiccups, it was successful, but not only that, it was highly profitable. Remote work proved that it works. The big takeaway here is as firm leaders and managers, how are we going to come back from COVID and define that new normal uh, culturally in those sort of behaviors? And it's going to be important in our talent attraction and retention, which again, is the focus of the report. And and one other point I'll make big picture, and we did reference this in the report too, is there was a recent Microsoft and LinkedIn study, the, the Workplace Trends Report. And in that, they cited worldwide and across industries that 41% of employees were considering leaving their their current employers, but about half, 46% of those said it was because now they know they can do their work remotely. So that's sort of a big takeaway when we're looking from an organizational perspective, a culture of change. I think change has happened and we're going to want to embrace that. The second part of the research was looking at, as you mentioned, the, the use of independent professional freelancers. And the data showed that there are already about a third of firms are using independent professional freelancers. And I've worked with firms even before the pandemic that were successfully utilizing independent professional freelancers and doing so very profitably. So this is not a new thing that's coming. It's just it's now it's moving to the forefront pretty fast. One other element we have in the report that we presented, it found that of firms that were not using independent professional freelancers right now, 40% of those thought that their culture would be negatively impacted with the use of independent professional freelancers. I found that, from my perspective, you know, pretty interesting. And I could see as COVID was evolving, really starting out and continuing to evolve. It was those existing relationships that people had uh, that made remote work very successful to start with. I knew you really well, Anthony. And so we were doing work together. We could be remote because we had this pre-existing relationship. And so I could see maybe where it's like, well, if I don't know the people, maybe I, I can't work as well remote with them. So the case, I get that. However, as the pandemic unfolded, there are many firms, many firms that I'm directly connected with that hired during the pandemic. They hired people they never met live, They hired people who were in different regions that they never would have done without the pandemic, but they were able to now hire somebody in most cases as a traditional employee, but they still didn't meet them and they were living somewhere else. And so they weren't going to commute back into the office at any frequent basis anyway, post-pandemic, but they were open to that. Firms were doing that also pre-pandemic. I mean, there's firms that have set up their business model based on remote workers uh, coming in once a month or once a quarter. In the report too, Again, the kind of the simple idea, you should be open to change culturally. We did dive in with some of our questions, which what are some of the barriers that firms and leaders see as it relates to hiring independent professional freelancers? And so some of those barriers that were identified, you know, why doesn't your firm or what are their concerns with hiring these independents? There was one, you know, element that was, well, we prefer long-term hires. 67% of people who don't use professional freelancers said, well, we like the long-term hires 40% said that they don't want to invest in onboarding or training professional freelancers. And then 35% said they're just unwilling to do that. From my perspective, that's not very strategic and that it's going to box firms out of this growing labor pool. And, And it was very clear globally. It's clear across professional services. It's clear within our industry. There's a growing talent pool who wants to be professional freelancers. But the silver lining in this, a lot of this might have been just because you know, this is the way we were brought up. This is the tradition. This, is, but a lot of these barriers, whether it be you know we like long term hires, we don't really want to onboard, we really don't want to use this. They're all mindset driven, and so they can be flipped very easily to be great opportunities and advantages for firms. And so that's going to move into our, our second sort of key element of this, which is how do you access this pool if you're so willing, this, this new talent pool. But before I did that, I mean, that was a long summary on culture, but it's such a big topic today. Anything else to share from your perspective with the data, with the firms that you're working with, the people you're working with as it relates to sort of culture and change, which this is all a big part of?
0: Culture is everything today. I mean, you said it, and I don't think that that's overstating anything at all. I mean, it's a very important part of what we're doing with complex projects and and remote teams or hybrid teams, like the culture is really important. And we'll talk about that in a few more minutes here. But just think that in the world we live in today, to say something like we're not going to look at independent professionals or remote professionals because of culture is just too easy of a path like you know that's just giving up on it way too easy in my opinion there's so many opportunities that are available if you can work hard and developing a culture that includes hybrid workers remote workers independent freelancers right if you can get that model right you're going to be able to be way more adaptable than other AEC firms out there which is going to put you in an excellent position as Pete just mentioned before if you can hire someone who doesn't live, within an hour of your office, because you're going with an independent professional or letting someone work remotely as a full-time employee, whatever the case may be, you're putting yourself in a more strategic position than many other firms. If you're just willing to put the work in to develop the culture around it. I don't have much else to add other than passing up on it for something like that, I think is you're not doing your research, you're not doing enough work, you kind of rolling up your sleeves and doing some work around that. And I think that's important. And actually that leads us right into the second consideration, we have a pretty good feel that AEC firms are going to have to adapt. But what you'll have to figure out is what processes and technologies that you're using are going to have to change to kind of keep up with this new remote workforce model or hybrid model. I mean, of course, everybody made changes because of COVID. Companies were already forced to kind of go through these processes and make sure that people could work remotely. And that's a good thing because that means you're ahead of the game in terms of this consideration specifically. You still have to think through it think through a hybrid model, think through how's it going to work if we have some people in the office, some people not in the office, some people in the Northeastern United States, some people on the West Coast, right? You're going to really have to continue to think through those things and update your technology, uh, make sure your IT systems are in place for security purposes and other reasons. Again, we believe that there's a lot of upside if a company decides to do that, but that's really the second key consideration. And and, And like I said, this becomes easier because of what we experienced the last 18 months, Because people did a lot of work getting their infrastructures to a place where everybody, 100% of their company could be remote if they needed to, which puts probably your firm already ahead of the curve on this. But those are my thoughts on that second consideration, Pete.
1: That was about the some of the platforms and the access to this, right? I mean, there's self-imposed barriers if you don't want to access it. But we did talk about the fact that there are platforms too that are out there, and so you know, think of of Uber for our AEC industry, like a, a platform like that coming in. They're growing in different verticals, professional verticals, and so you know, the question is, once you're open to it, there are ways to do that, and they're growing and. And the idea is that if you're going to put in the work to do this, you don't want an ad hoc strategy. I mean, that was how some of these, you know, it's a great idea, but if you don't really put a strategy behind it, it's just sort of an ad hoc use of the independent professional freelancer, or it's an ad hoc, okay, we'll be remote now. And if you do that this week, but how do you set up remote work? So it's successful over the course of a year, over the course of a project and not ad hoc, how do you use independent professional freelancers? Not because you're in a pinch? but because you really see this as a marketplace advantage moving forward. And we'll talk about some of those advantages, but it's really, it's creating a talent ecosystem and a success structure for remote and or remote and hybrid.
0: What we cite in the report is, and I'll read it for you right now, since 2009, the number of platforms For companies to hire highly skilled independent professionals has jumped fourfold from 80 to 330. And 90% of talent leaders surveyed by the Harvard Business Review say these platforms will be core to their ability to compete in the future. So, again, this is happening. It's not a question as to whether or not people are hiring more online, hiring independent freelancers. The question is, how keyed into it will you be? And as Pete said, a a word that we use quite a bit in the report there. Or are phrase talent ecosystems, right? You're thinking about your entire ecosystem and how you're going to be filling it, where you're going to be filling it from and how these different outlets can help you. And one of the other last things I'll mention on this point before we go to the next one is it will be critical to document carefully what level of access and integration freelance professionals will have at your company if you go that route, of course right cuz you're going to have you know people maybe that need different access to different files and again that's another component of this second consideration which is thinking through your technology how it's structured who has access to what in my opinion not something that's enough to say ah you know it's too risky let's skip it from what we're hearing in some of the research and the studies that we've cited throughout this report there the upside is really really big in this field in terms of you know the remote work the freelancers that it's definitely worth looking into so all right, Pete, what's the third one here? What's the third consideration? The third
1: one is uh, expand training and development to accommodate and empower these mixed hybrid teams. And like, no matter how you access the talent, if you can find this talent, like, how are we going to train and develop them? And, th- and this is going to tie into some of the tools and the onboarding that you mentioned. But one note I mean, just again, big picture how we succeeded with teams. Pre COVID is going to be very different than how we succeeded with teams during, and certainly how we'll succeed with teams post, because the fully traditional, mostly collated on site, co located on site team is just not going to be commonplace. It's going to be more common to have and to do something different. And so you mentioned about this, and we've talked about this quite a bit. You know, leadership development and project management programs, their training, they have needed a major overhaul for a long time with remote work that was really brought more into the forefront with we need to invest in overall, and we talked about this in the report, better overall management, better communication, better people skills, which I know that's been a, a source of, of people coming to you over the course of the last year, really that the people skills training, which is essential anyway, but even more so now. But these are investments that have desperately been desired by both leaders and managers that are now being funded. We talked about this early in the pandemic when we started talking about things. It's sort of like the major aha, like as it relates to training and development in some of these programs. That, you know, what the technology, the training, development, the processes and systems and the mindset that is going to make us effective with traditional employees, but with a remote or a remote hybrid workforce are the same technologies, training, processes and systems and mindsets that will allow us to succeed with professional independent freelancers. Whether we're going to choose to utilize Professional freelancers on a large scale, small scale, or just sort of ease into them over time, that we need to redesign our work and our workflow systems anyway. And that's ongoing with many firms to allow more time for actual work, provide not only better training and development, but to do that faster and to allow firms to scale better. And so all of that stuff is happening. And so when we think about expanding training and development, again, this is a win win. Things that we should be doing anyway right now because we have blended traditional workforce in many cases, but that opens the door and now creates that platform for you to also say, not only do we have a blended traditional workforce, we have a mixed hybrid workforce. And so I think all of those considerations are looped in together. And so from a strategy perspective, it's a two for one, it's a win-win.
0: You're right. We've been getting just a lot of requests for people skills and PM training here at EMI. And what I could say kind of to what Peter's said there in the last few minutes is, we can conduct a people skills training or a project management training for 20 of your professionals in 20 different geographic locations just as successfully if all 20 of them were in the same room with us, with our instructors. The reason being is because, first of all, you don't have to send people anywhere. So you're going to save money on it. And from a profitability standpoint, you're going to get a higher ROI but the training solutions are just as effective in terms of helping them really, truly build these skills. We have different assignments. We have different things we do. So what that means is that you can build these training solutions that can include independent freelancers that are working for you. It can include remote people that are working remote, some people in the office, and it's just one program. And what it helps you with is the recruitment, is the development, and is the retention. So if you're talking about building really powerful talent ecosystems in your company, you need solutions like this. Not only because it's going to give your staff the skills that's going to help you to be more profitable on your projects, which it will do, but it's going to draw that talent to you because a lot of people still aren't giving good training on these skill sets. And no one's leaving a company that's giving them that kind of training and helping them develop their skills. It's really kind of a no-brainer. And I think where a lot of companies get kind of fooled in this Area where they don't think about it is they just look at the training costs divided by the number of person and they put like a training cost on it. What we explain to them at EMI is there's three investments you're making here. You're investing in your recruiting pipeline because you're able to use these training programs to show people that you really invest and care about your staff. You're investing in your development of these professionals, which is, oh, by the way, going to affect the people that they're leading as well. And lastly, you're investing in your ability to retain people. Which also saves you a tremendous amount of money. Every time someone leaves the company, you know you know this, Pete, from your work as an owner. What it costs in terms of onboarding someone, training someone, hiring someone is the costs are huge. So when you think about the future of work in the AEC industry, you have to think about expanding your training and development to accommodate these hybrid teams. And it's not hard to do, and it's actually less expensive to do than traditional training. and, more effective. So that's something that I think is really exciting. Yeah. And just to put a fine point on that, I mean, it's a strategic
1: investment. I mean, it's not the cost it used to be, right? Just that mindset. Again, it's a barrier. It's a strategic investment for all of those levels that you spoke of. And I see it You know, from a strategic planning perspective. That is one of the top identified priorities of training and development the key at end, it's one of the top request by employees across the industry. That's the number one thing they want. The number one need for many firms is to attract top talent. And so it's all connected. The, the issue will be, are we as a firm and as a leadership team, as a management team, are we ec- going to execute on that? And are we going to invest? And are we going to strategically invest in the right training at the right time? Not to check the box and not just scope schedule and budget. That's absolutely important, but some other elements too, particularly as it relates to people skills today. And so that's right in line with where the industry is. But to your point, not everyone's executing on it.
0: Lastly, but certainly by no means least, the fourth consideration is employee well-being. This is a key factor in determining an organization's long-term effectiveness. Many studies show a direct link between productivity levels and the general health and well-being of their workforce. In fact, our survey that we conducted shows stress is a significant issue for engineers and architects. In fact, 43% of men said that work stress is affecting my physical and or mental health, and 53% of women said the same. So while mental health may be a personal issue, it is without question a business risk for employers, particularly based on the rates that I just described. For employers hoping to hire and retain women in STEM roles, it's particularly troubling. And so we really need to think about that as we think about the future of work and, you know, the successful use of independent professionals can potentially take some of the burden off of current employees and kind of help to limit burnout and overwork and the disengagement that comes along with those characteristics. We feel that this is a really, really important one. And obviously Pete's had some experiences with this as well with burnout. He has a book on it, on the topic and experienced it himself. And so Pete, maybe you want to share a few words on this one. One thing that's interesting,
1: doing a lot of the strategic planning work and the leadership and management development, there's a lot of one-on-one reviewing, you know, talking with leaders, um, talking with employees, talking with managers about the development that they're looking for, and by and large across the industry, it's not only practitioners who are feeling overwhelmed. And maybe burning out, and a lot of times at the at the practitioner level, they might be burning out not because of work overload, but because they're just so frustrated that they're not getting the work, or they're not getting taught, you know, and trained, and developed. But that's a a kind of a different sidebar. But four, that burden is falling on senior managers and leaders. And I will say, I mean, one word to describe so many of, of the leaders and the principals in the industry is they're tired. And if we think back to even the Great Recession, I mean, there was a little bit of a bubble before the Great Recession, where it was starting hard to find employees, 2006, 2007, and then certainly the Great Recession was hard, right? And then we were really, even as the economy was coming back, we were slow to hire, so it was hard on people who had been in the industry a while. And then we ran into the 2018, 2019, sort of like when we started talking about the war on talent, being harder to find talent, but the work was starting to boom a little bit and then we had covid obviously very stressful for talent, particularly senior talent too because the, the burden falls right but on everybody but you know there is this sometimes you know we forget about the leaders too right and they're the ones that you know are shepherding the firms and principles of that matter too. and then now we have this you know what's on the brink of what number, people are calling the roaring 20s and this war for talent has hit a new sort of fever pitch and so not only is the talent pool getting tighter, it's permanently changed. If we are going to go back to the way things, we're probably going to add to the worker stress and strain, and it's not going to be worker well being. They might move, as some of the Microsoft study and, and LinkedIn study suggested. And so we have to really be dialed into the employees from that and have a heightened sense. I mean, that, to your point, there has been a lot of work over the course of the last year in particular on burnout prevention strategies, because I think leaders are coming to the conclusion that. It is a business risk because the people who are most inclined to burn out are highest achieving, most dedicated employees. It's not going to be your middlers. I'm not judging, but it, you know our highest performers, which a lot are high potentials, you know as a lead project engineer or lead project architect, project manager, those are the ones that are susceptible. So that is the business risk. As you mentioned, that, and we forecast in the report and highlighted in the report based on the studies that we've done and the direct feedback, the use of this new source of talent, the independent professional freelancer would take the burden off existing employees, but also provide a little bit more control and agency, which is something that most of employees that responded to the survey, they wanted more control over the the type of work they did, how they worked, the types of projects that they worked on. So they wanted that and you know there's the marketplace benefits of the independent professional freelancers in that you might be able to take on and compete for more work than you otherwise could because you can contract with this talent it's like a, a much more dynamic version of a specialty sub consultant in some ways and there's the whole you know the business benefits which we dive into in other parts of the report but I'll just mention here is that as it relates to the agile resilient dynamic and recession proof firm with the use of professional freelancers You're able to staff up really quick when you need to, and you're able to reduce your staff or your your workforce without having to lay people off, without having to deal with plummeting profits as you sort of hold on for the next project or take on project that you're really not a good fit for because you need to keep people busy. And then that has the negative effect on culture and profitability and all that stuff. So considering worker well-being is an important part of our strategy from a firm development perspective, because more and more talent has options. Your competitors want them. Adjacent sectors of the consulting world, whether they be for a municipality or with the private sector, industrials, they want them. There are major Fortune 100, Fortune 500 companies who want engineering mindset talent in their business venture, and they're willing to pay a lot of money. So, as an industry, we really need to focus on worker well being in order to be successful. Again, just today, accessing the professional freelancer market, but just being viable as an industry with all the
0: other people who are coming after our talent. Just to kind of close this conversation out, I want to go full circle and go back to culture. Well-being of your employees is very related to the culture that you've built in your company. In fact, I'm reading a very interesting book right now by Cal Newport called A World Without Email, where he basically talks a lot about how we've created an amazing amount of distractions, and we work very fragmented these days because of all the digital, you know, the instant messages, the emails, and people are getting worn out and worn down. It's the responsibility of the company to build a culture and a communication culture around avoiding that burnout due to that. And this is just one part of culture, of course. But that means if someone's an independent freelancer, they're remote working from home, they're in the office, well, they can build a culture that's inclusive of all of those people in terms of their well being. And that's something that every company needs to focus on if they're going to make it. Otherwise, you're just going to have people burning out. And like Peter said, it's going to be the high potential engineering professionals that burn out, not like you know, the newer professionals, the recent graduates or someone who's not performing. It's going to be the people that a lot of your business is hinging on. And that's why you need to take the time and take the effort to do that really that culture maybe is that building block that you're going to end up building everything around in terms of these considerations that we've gone through today. So with that, I want to let you know again that you can download a copy of this research report at futureofworkinaec.com. That's futureofworkinaec.com. And of course, what we went through today was four key considerations, which is just one section of the report that employers should kind of be aware of in terms of the future of remote work. The first one was to ensure your employer culture is open to change. Second one, examine what processes and technologies will need to change or adapt to meet the future of talent sourcing. The third one, expand training and development to accommodate and empower hybrid teams and distributed workforces. And as we said last, but certainly not least, consider worker well-being as an important part of your long-term talent strategy. So Pete, I'm glad we did this episode together. Thanks for joining me. And I'm glad we were able to go back and forth and share some thoughts. And I hope that this will really be helpful to our listeners.
1: Yeah, I think it's great. I'm real proud of the work in the report. Our partners, we had a number of distribution partners with the survey. I know our our research firm was was excited about the results and they they thought, you know, we really had some great insights uh, that the data was able to lead us to. And so I definitely encourage people to download that report. If you download that report, I mean, that allows you to stay in touch with us because we're going to continue to do some research and get some feedback over the summer and then probably have a webinar later in the towards the end of the summer, probably early fall, where we'll just kind of lay out a little bit more about the research and and how that's being applied. We, Based on this data, based on when we got together a year ago, I mean, we've got some big plans to really be able to serve the industry from a talent perspective, from a firm perspective, and really just allow there to be much better networking and much better use of these ecosystems, which is is pretty exciting that we've been building on for about a year now.
0: Yeah, for sure. So make sure you go to futureofworkinaec.com, grab the report, that'll also put you on an email list, and you'll get future notifications about Anything we do related to this topic, specifically, like Peter said, we're working on a webinar that we're going to be putting out in a couple of months where not only will you be able to see some more of the research and data, but you'll be able to ask questions, engage with us and other like minded individuals interested in this topic in the AEC world. Thanks so much for joining us here today. Civil Engineering Podcast.
1: Civil Engineering Podcast.
0: I hope you enjoyed this episode of my conversation with Peter Atherton. This is a really important topic right now in the AEC world. We all know that many professionals don't want to go back full time in the office after what we've gone through here in the last year and a half. However, there are many benefits to both professionals and firms if they don't. For firm, for example, as we talked about, being able to hire people in a geographic location that normally they wouldn't have been able to hire from, right? Kind of increasing that talent pool. And so we really hope that you enjoy this. We hope that you will go to futureofworkinaec.com and download that report. Again, that's futureofworkinaec.com. The report is laid out again in frameworks, make it really easy to read through and digest. Kind of equip yourself with some knowledge on this important topic moving forward. I also want to mention we are running our engineering management accelerator core skill development courses ongoing. We've had a lot of a lot of interest in them. If you're looking to improve the people skills of your team project management skills, or the seller-doer or business development skills, our courses are perfect for you. You can find out all the details and upcoming sessions at engineeringmanagementinstitute.org. Just click on the training button. You can get in touch with us there. You can enroll your team in our general programs with professionals from other firms, or we could do a custom program for you, which is not much more expensive as long as you have a good number of people that you want to put through it, and most firms do. So again, that's engineeringmanagementinstitute.org. Click on the training button or feel free to give us a call at 800-920-4007. That's 800-920-4007. And remember, you could find the show notes for this episode at civilengineeringpodcast.com. Look for episode number 175, and there you'll find a summary of the key points discussed in today's episode, as well as links to any of the resources, websites, or books mentioned during the episode. And until next time, I wish you the best in all of your civil engineering career endeavors. The Civil Engineering Podcast is published by the Engineering Management Institute and is part of EMI's Civil Engineering Media and Entertainment Network. The opinions on the show are those of the hosts and guests, not their employers. For information on EMI's people and project management skills training programs for civil engineering professionals, visit engineeringmanagementinstitute.org.